Welcome back to the Simple Farmhouse Life podcast. I'm about to share with you an interview I did with Lisa Steele from Fresh Eggs Daily. We're going to talk about eggs. And you might think that this is going to be a really short episode because how much can you talk about such a small subject as eggs? But actually, it's a very wide subject. So we talk about recipes and good ones for quick and easy school mornings. And she even has a, a recipe that I've never even heard of that is something I'm really excited to try. It's very simple and easy and pretty genius if you ask me. We're gonna talk about uh, raw eggs and a little bit on chicken breeds and which ones for those colorful eggs in your egg basket. So if you're interested, not, not only in getting started with backyard chickens because this is for people who just want to know how to source quality eggs and what to do with them, this is gonna be a great episode for you. My name is Lisa, mother of seven and creator of the blog and YouTube channel, Farmhouse on Boone. Join me as I share with you my love for creating a handmade home from scratch cooking and a little mom and entrepreneur life along the way. Well, hey Lisa. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm really excited to chat. I knew I wanted to have you on to talk about something related to either homesteading or, you know, even business or book writing. We talked about that privately. But as I was looking through your new cookbook and your YouTube videos and your blog and Instagram, I'm like, okay, we got to just chat about eggs. At first I thought, okay, is there going to be enough content. And then I looked through it. I'm like, oh, there's plenty to talk about eggs. So let's start with introductions. Tell us about who you are, where to find you online. And then of course your new fresh eggs daily cookbook. Yes. Hi, Lisa. Um, <laughs> great name. Yeah. Um, so I am Lisa Steele and uh, <laughs> I created fresh eggs daily about 12 years ago. Now, honestly, it started just as a backyard chicken keeping uh, blog that came, you know, from social media it was Facebook back then really just as an archive to kind of, you know, write maybe the common questions I was getting, write answers to them so I could share links and help people raise their chickens and all that. And, um, you know, I wrote a couple books about raising backyard chickens and fast forward all these years, I finally broke into the culinary world and wrote an egg cookbook, which, just had been a dream of mine and something that I thought was the next step because I've been teaching people how to raise chickens all these years and now they need to know how to use all their eggs. So you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, my blog. It's all fresh eggs daily, lots of backyard chicken keeping content, but also lots of cool stuff about eggs and some recipes. Yeah. Like I said earlier, I was thinking, you know, how many ways are there to, to, you know, cook eggs or what else can we talk about? And then I instantly started thinking of so many things as homesteaders, we have about 40 chickens and right now, especially how to use up all the eggs is definitely something that I'm very interested in hearing your take on because we have so many and they're such a great source of protein. They're pretty much a perfect food, but then we can also go into preserving eggs. So that way you don't run out of eggs in the winter when there's less daylight. And so plenty to talk about there. The first thing I had on my list was labels on eggs. So if people aren't raising their own chickens and they're wanting to find a good source, I think a lot of the labeling can be misleading. So you had, I think it was a YouTube video or a blog post about this. What do you teach as far as what the labels on the eggs mean? 
Yeah, that's a great place to start because obviously everyone can't raise chickens or doesn't want to raise chickens, but there definitely is a way to choose, let's say, the best eggs from the grocery store because, you know, there's a wide range of how the chickens are treated, how they're fed, all these other things. So um, the carton, which is like a huge billboard, I mean, you look at the cartons and there's just so much on them and there's so much that really doesn't mean anything like all natural, farm fresh, even local, you know, those are all just marketing terms that you really can disregard. So really what you want to look for just to kind of go cut straight to the chase is you want pasture raised, if organic, eating organically is important to you, then looking for organic eggs is also important, but it's important to know that the organic label speaks more to what the chickens are eating and their diet. So they're being fed organic feed than how they're really treated. So if it's important to you that the chickens that lay your eggs are happy, then you really want to look for pasture raised because that means that they are out on some sort of, you know, dirt, grass, wooded area, whatever, all day long, locked up at night, obviously. So they're safe, but it's kind of confusing because cage free is sort of like the new buzzword that it's like the feel good word that everyone wants cage free eggs. And really all that means is the chickens that were in these tiny little cages, the size of a piece of typing paper, which we all know, you know, is bad for them. These cages are opened and now all these chickens are in a big, huge warehouse, Mm -hmm. which is no better. And actually there's a higher mortality rate. I mean, you raise chickens, you know, chickens are mean and, you know, they're killing each other and they're pecking each other and they're stepping on each other and yeah. they're laying their eggs, who knows where. And so, <laughs> so honestly, it, it's really best for the chicken to be in a cage because they're safe and they're getting enough food and they're, you know, which is really terrible because that's also terrible for the chicken. <laughs> so cage free or caged is really bad. And you want to look for pasture raised organic if that's important to you. And also local, a lot of national grocery chains do carry local farm eggs, you know, so look on the side of the carton and see where the farm is located. Yeah. So the local coupled with the few of the other markers, because like for us, we have a local farm (laughs) and it is, or not, it's not really a farm. It's a local factory and it's, you know, you don't see a single chicken when you go past it, but you definitely smell it. And so yeah, local coupled with cage-free is definitely a good option. And then also, what are some tips for finding, you know, just like a sign out and a maybe maybe Facebook marketplace or a farmer that you could get eggs from regularly? Yeah. So, I mean, I live in rural Maine, so we cannot go, you know, 10 houses before there's a fresh egg sign, you know, <laughs> but even in the suburban and urban areas, people are raising chickens. So drive around your neighborhood Or like you mentioned, check Facebook Marketplace or, you know, check at your local feed store or even the post office, you know, just start looking for fresh egg signs and you probably can find somebody in your area who's raising chickens and who has eggs to sell. Yeah. My tip for that too is to get a collection of people. So whenever, before we raised chickens, I had several sources for a lot of different things from meat to milk to uh, eggs because, you know, as a farmer, there are times when you have an abundance that you want to sell off. And then there's times when you're, you're getting just enough for you and your family. And so you can't really necessarily rely on those sources like you can the grocery store. And so having a collection of different farmers, you can call for different things is really, really helpful for you to start to establish wherever you might live. No, that's really true. And, you know, an old timer told me years ago, and it was really good advice that he said he treats eggs as any other seasonal crop you know, like tomatoes, you eat a lot of tomatoes Mm -hmm. when they're in season. And same with eggs, as you mentioned, there are times a year that you have so many eggs that like you're just throwing them in the compost pile because you cannot, 
you know, freeze or preserve or eat them fast enough. Yeah. And in the middle of the winter, you have none. So it does ebb and flow. And same with if you have a source, you're right. Or I mean, God forbid, like their flock could get attacked by a fox right. or, you know, something could happen. Yeah. And so you need more than one person to supply you. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Good tips. Okay. So why are eggs a staple in your diet? What's the nutritional profile that makes eggs such an attractive food for pretty much everybody? They are, you know, the USDA, I guess it is, you know, goes back and forth about whether eating eggs is bad for you cholesterol wise and all this other stuff. And yeah, they have cholesterol in them, but they also are a complete protein, which means that they, they contain all of the amino acids and they're a great, still fairly inexpensive source of protein. You know, when you compare other meats and right now it seems to be that, you know, it's, as long as you're not drowning them in butter or tons of oil or, you know, hollandaise sauce or whatever, um, <laughs> eating an egg or two a day is not bad. Plus they're so versatile. You know, I feel like you can just do so much with an egg, whereas, you know, there's only so much you can do with a, with a piece of steak or even chicken. I mean, chicken's fairly versatile, but eggs, they fit into, you know, any time of day, whether you're vegetarian, keto, paleo, you know, whatever diet profile or, or eating profile you follow. I don't know. There's not many people that don't eat eggs, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Some people are allergic to eggs, but for the most part, mm -hmm. they, like you said, they lend themselves to every time of the day they go in baked goods. We, whenever we have a lot of eggs, like to even just add a couple extra eggs to a baked good. A lot of times it can totally accommodate for that. It'll just be a little bit of a different texture, mm -hmm. but, and we, I'm in the camp of like butter's good too. And so I'm like, oh yeah, eat all the eggs, smother them in butter. I know that there's <laughs> different schools of thought on that, right? but yeah, I try to get as many eggs as possible into my family. Like you said, they're inexpensive. They are very, you know, good, complete protein. Now, when we think of eggs, Typically, the first thing that pops in everybody's brain, and I'm sure this is what you mostly teach on your blog, uh, chickens. But what about duck, quail, goose? What kind of eggs are you raising on your own farm? And then what are some other ones that are unconventional that we might not think of? Yeah, good point. And you mentioned being allergic to eggs. There are a lot of people that are allergic to chicken eggs that can eat duck eggs. It's a completely different protein. Oh. Um so that's something to keep in mind for people and vice versa. People can be allergic to duck eggs and not chicken. So we have ducks and geese and we do get eggs from all of them. I mean, in my cookbook, actually, I do talk about this a little bit because I know people do raise different types of, of poultry, but three chicken eggs is equal to two duck eggs which is equal to one goose egg. So you can make that substitution. You know, like you said, it's going to maybe change your, your baked goods a little bit. You know, duck eggs and goose eggs are a little higher in fat. But for the most part, you know, I sub in duck eggs for chicken eggs all the time in cooking or baking. Yeah. So you'll just do like two to one. So you'll do two chicken eggs for one duck egg. Or do you ever, if you have like a really massive, like a goose egg, just scramble it and then measure it by the tablespoon? You can Yes, you can, yeah. you can absolutely. I mean, honestly, if we have the smaller duck eggs, I'll use them one for one sometimes. You know, like you were saying, adding extra egg, it usually yeah. is not going to totally screw up your recipe. But if you want to be like, if you're one of those people that like weighs your flour and, you know, <laughs> if you're like a super anal baker, uh -huh. um, you can always whisk the egg and then just measure out, you know, three tablespoons and that's yeah. equivalent to one chicken egg. My blog readers definitely know that I'm not like that. So all the other blogs I get on, it always says one large egg and it says like 
unsalted butter. I'm like butter and egg. I'm telling you, it's not going to matter. And I get the people on my comments who swear that it does. And they're like, well, what size? And you know, is this unsalted butter? I'm like, don't worry. Whether you use unsalted, salted, an egg or a large egg, it's trust me, it's going to turn out. And I know that drives some people crazy and some people it's like liberating. No, I agree. And I mean, I, I used to be an accountant and I like to bake and I think like the whole numbers thing and the exacting and like, to me, it's very relaxing to just have a recipe and like have to follow it. Okay. You know, I'm not cooking where you just kind of throw stuff in and you taste it and throw it in more whatever that to me is a little more nerve wracking. Baking. I like having like my formula, right. But even salt, you know, if you use like diamond as opposed to Morton, the crystals are bigger or smaller. So like a teaspoon is not a teaspoon. Like unless you're weighing things, your baking is going to come out different than the recipe, most likely. Yeah. Because you're right, you know, using even a different brand of butter, even a different brand of flour, they have different protein percentages. So like if you are that particular about your baking, you need to buy a baking scale and you need to use it. (laughs) Otherwise, (laughs) just throw everything in and it comes out. (laughs) It's not me, but I know that there's different styles when it comes to that. Taking a quick break from this conversation to tell you about today's episode sponsor, Tubes and Co. I have been trying so many different products from Tubes and Co. And with each one, I fall a little bit more in love with the product. They are made here in the USA by a small business, which is something that I love to support. They have quality ingredients such as grass-fed tallow, nothing bad. You can trust that what you're putting on your skin is going to be high quality, healthy, better than organic, all of that good stuff. What you put on your skin matters because it absorbs in, it is something that we think about whenever we go to eat something, but then when we put something on our skin and it bypasses that whole digestive system, for some reason we think that it doesn't need to be quality and simple. And I love that about Tubes & Co products. They are made with really simple, wholesome ingredients, and they also are just good. So lately I have been loving their makeup. I bought the whole kit where you could do the, um, contouring. (laughs) I've done that so infrequently. I forgot what it was called, but basically I do the bronzer and the blush and the uh, highlighter over the foundation. And it's giving my face just this, I don't know, I'm really enjoying the dimension because I'm used to just doing like foundation powder and I'm loving the products for this. They are not only great organic quality ingredients, but they also are just good products. If you are looking for high quality skincare ingredients and makeup, visit the website tubesandco.com and use the code farmhouse to get 10% off your order. Again, that's tubesandco.com. Use the code farmhouse. Okay. So you have a video on your YouTube about frying eggs in oil or butter. So I have my own personal experience and opinions on that as well, but I want to hear from your perspective, which one is better? So I don't know that one is better. I mean, I personally like to use both. <laughs> I mean, like I'm like you, I, I eat okay, I, you know, at the I, same time. I eat eggs, I eat butter, I use whole cream. Like I don't use low fat, low this, no mm-hmm. carb. Like I use you know, full, fresh, local food. Right. So I like to use oil and butter, like, especially if I'm making an omelet where you definitely don't want stuff to stick. Like, I think the butter adds better flavor, but the oil, you know, has got a higher smoking point. So it's going to not like make your edges burn and stuff like that. I don't know. I just use both. And I love to throw in some heavy cream too, like just 
because. Oh, yeah. So that was something I have on my list here to talk about with you. And I'm really interested in hearing about that because I've never tried that. Mm-hmm. Before we go to that, are you usually doing like a little bit of butter and a little bit of oil combined? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll usually like turn the pan on, you know, drizzle a little bit of oil in and then like grab a pat of butter, like not a tablespoon, but like, you know, a pat, whatever. Right. And then, you know, swirl it around. And once the butter is like all bubbly, then I'll put my eggs in. Whether I'm making an omelet, scrambled eggs, fried egg, whatever. I just, I like the combination. But I mean, either or, like, I don't think there's a better or like, if I don't have butter, I just use oil or, you know, no oil, I just use butter. Now, are you using cast iron? Because in my experience, I do much better with the egg not sticking if I use butter than oil. And it could be the type of oil that I'm using, but I exclusively cook on cast iron. So that could be the reason for that. And you did, I mentioned um, in this outline talking about pans. Mm -hmm. So you can touch on that too. Yeah. um, So cast iron, I mean, I'm definitely a fan of cast iron. I don't use nonstick. I don't care if you tell me it doesn't have whatever in it, because you know, 20 years from now, they'll be like, oh, well, that coating did have something in it that was terrible and now causing cancer and everybody, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. but like a lot of people like to fry their eggs in bacon grease. And I always have trouble with them sticking. Like, I, I don't understand it. I can have, you know, a half an inch of bacon grease in the pan and the eggs will still stick with all that grease. So I don't understand it. So I actually started using enameled cast iron. Okay. So it's like a cast iron pan, but it has like an enamel coating, which makes it basically nonstick. You have to use like plastic or wood on it, you know, because it can scratch. Um, But if you are using the cast iron, I mean, I I do use cast iron for like, you know, cooking dinner and all that kind of stuff. As soon as I'm done with it, you know, I wipe it out and put more oil, wipe that around on the inside. Like every time after I use it, I Mm -hmm. wipe the inside with more oil. So maybe that, you know, helps with the nonstick ability of it. Yeah. Yeah. Now with your bacon, are you talking about going straight from cooking bacon to then putting the eggs in with the grease? Are you talking about if you've reserved grease and putting them in a clean cast iron? Okay. So I'm talking mainly like you cook your bacon, you take it out, you throw your eggs in. Okay. Like if I'm cooking like dinner, uh, breakfast for a bunch of people, that's usually what I'll do. Yeah. Do you think it's different if you've saved the, if you've reserved it? Is. The, so oh, is it? The, the thing with that happens with cast iron is if there's anything stuck on at all, like if you've like, you know, whenever you flip your bacon, a little bit gets left behind, just like a tiny, like almost like a little coating. Right. So whenever something is stuck on first, the food always sticks. So if I have like bacon grease that I've strained off and then I've cleaned the pan, so I got off every last little bit of bacon and then add the bacon grease, it won't stick. But that's why it's because the uh, meat is like a little bit stuck. Even if you don't see anything, right? it's like, almost like a film that happens with bacon. And so the the pan itself is kind of coated first. And so it's the egg isn't making contact with the seasoned, nice seasoned pan. It's like sticking to the bacon itself. I don't know if that helps. Got it. I'm going to have to try that. I mean, normally I don't, you know, cook in bacon grease unless I'm just cooking a big breakfast. Right, I'm like, right. okay, bacon's cooked, eggs go in, yeah, you know. Yeah. But I, yeah, I'll have to try that, like strain it out and then try it. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So I'm very interested in this cream fried eggs. Believe it or not, I've never tried that. I've never even heard of it. We have so much cream because we have a dairy cow and we just wean the calf. Like we actually just got rid of the calf. And so the cream line's like six inches thick. And this sounds amazing. So do you literally just put cream in with your butter and then fry the eggs in the cream? Yeah. So it it actually happened because I didn't have any butter 
or, and I didn't really feel like using olive oil. Like I feel like olive oil is a little strong for eggs, whatever. Yeah. So I had, I had like a little bit of cream in the bottom of the container, which you always end up with like a little extra, right? So I poured that into the, the skillet and then, you know, it started to like bubble put the eggs in and as it continues to cook, the milk fats separate and it kind of caramelizes and it was really great and really cool. And the whites were like super creamy. And I was like, I just invented something. You did. And then <laughs> I looked it up and it's like, a, it's a thing, but it's a thing. People do it. But I've oh, done um, okay. cream fried and also <laughs> cream baked. They're both hmm. in my cookbook, both recipes. And I mean, anytime I have like a little bit of cream left in the bottom of the container and just enough on the bottom to like cover the bottom, you know? Uh-huh. You don't need a ton of it. Yeah. It comes out so good. I mean, yeah. the eggs are so good. It was a good thought because you use cream to make butter. And so essentially you're like using butter and buttermilk to fry your egg, just still combined. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I mean, I cook them until it like starts to really separate back into, I mean, it, it's, you know, <laughs> it's definitely caramelizing and there you got your butter fats. And yeah, it was. I, I was like, I just invented something so cool. And turns out I didn't invent it at all. That happens to me all the time with blogging where I start to think of something like, oh, I wonder if somebody's tried this. And then you search and you're like, sure enough. But oh, well, I'm just going to show it with my take. I did think of this. This was an original thought. Exactly. And you also mentioned baking. So are you sometimes putting like cream in the bottom of a baking dish and then cracking eggs in and then putting it in the mm -hmm. oven? Yeah. If you're going to do, like, if you have a larger group, you can bake it and kind of same deal, add some cheese or whatever. And it comes out like a creamy egg casserole. Ooh. It's really good. And that seems like such an easy, I'm thinking right now about like school morning where we homeschool, but we have a very mm -hmm. tight schedule that we're going to try to start implementing as of like next week, you know, and, or at the time of this recording, it's well underway probably when this comes out, but I'm trying to think of things that I can just throw in the oven and then get on to other tasks. And that mm -hmm. seems like it's kind of like a quiche, but just not scrambled up. Not scrambled up. And then you don't even have to give them a glass of milk because you're like, well, your cream was in your egg. So you're good to go. Yeah. <laughs> right. That seems awesome. So you have a couple other recipes I wanted to touch on. One was the oven pancake. Again, that's something that I think would be really good for school mornings. You also have a sweet and a savory version of that, I believe. Yeah. And it's basically a, like a Dutch baby. I just happen to be Scandinavian. So it's like a different, you know, every culture has like the same thing that they call it something different. So yeah. it's basically an oven pancake, <laughs> but it's a Dutch baby. So, you know, you whip okay. it all up, throw it in. And then when it comes out, you know, you can make it savory, like with sausage or, or bacon, or, you know, even you could put like, I think on YouTube, we had like balsamic tomatoes and basil or something like that and some cheese Oh, I think was was what because I had cooked it with somebody else or you know you can do like the berries and the confectioner sugar maple syrup type of thing but yeah that's quick and easy and yeah you know it puffs up so it's kind of fun yeah it does and it it's really not that sweet the original recipe the one that I use and so I could see how you could definitely make it go more savory if you wanted to I hadn't really thought of that yeah, it's like a savory pancake. I mean, I put um, sugar and cardamom in it, but you could definitely just leave it out. Yeah. You know, if you're going to go the, the savory route. Yeah, that yep. sounds really good. I also like to do with eggs, breakfast pizzas, and I'll do it with my sourdough starter. It's this really easy way where I just basically heat the skillet and then put the starter in, bake it for a couple minutes and then put on like cheese and sausage and fried eggs and it's so good. And so it's easy, but it's not like one of those school morning ones that I'm talking about. It's, you know, it's a little bit more effort. 
a little more effort. Yeah, I, I like breakfast pizza too. I mean, I, I'll eat like leftover cold pizza for breakfast yeah. as well, but I do like like bacon and yeah. eggs pizza. So what are some of your other, like, if there are any other recipes, notable recipes that you want to mention from the cookbook that might get our wheels turning a bit? You know, I went, hopefully it's like just my first cookbook of many, but I did go pretty classic. So I wanted, like, I thought what would be helpful to me as a person who eats a lot of eggs, who has a lot of eggs, whether or not you have chickens, but I think some recipes like pound cake and angel food cake, lemon meringue pie, creme brulee, like those are maybe things that people don't make. Or that, you know, I looked in, I mean, I think I bought every egg cookbook mm-hmm. on Amazon used, you know, when I was writing my book to see what was in them. And I was surprised how few had like these basic foundational recipes that use a lot of eggs. So I really wanted to include those because I thought, well, for just me, like I, I make those all the time and it would be really helpful to have them all in one cookbook, you know, right. but my next book, if I do write another one, I want to get a little more like creative, you know, like a little away from those classics. Um, but there's a reason they're classics because they're good. Yeah. You know, they're, they're yeah. good, solid recipes. Um, but I do have Toad in the Hole, which is a great for school mornings. It's basically like a, I don't know what you call it, like a quiche or a frittata, but you stick sausages in it. So they're supposed okay. to look like little toads, like, you know, poking their heads out of the ground. Okay. Yeah. That's a fun one. Or eggs baked in butternut squash eggs baked in puff pastry. Ooh. You know, it's kind of like I have an egg. What the heck can I do with it? <laughs> you know, I look around and I'm like, oh, I've got some puff pastry. Let's see what I can do with this. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't tried that. I like the idea of it being these basic recipes because once you're really comfortable with them, if you are, you know, just using some liberty in your kitchen to stretch them into whatever you want to do. Like if you have some raspberries, you can adjust it to make something that, you know, has is sweetened and has raspberries, having those foundational recipes, especially once you've advanced in your cooking skills means that you can play around with them. And so that's, it's good to have a classic thing like that. That's true. I, you know, I always laugh um, when I read like comments on, you know, food blogs and they'll make like, you know, something with like walnuts and there'll be a comment and be like, I don't like walnuts. Can I use pecans? I'm like, well, of course you can. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, I know. are so afraid to make substitutions. Oh my goodness. You know? My sister and I, we have so much fun because we're both bloggers. So we have fun in real life talking about like our comments, you know, because it's not something you just want to blast all over the internet because it makes you sound negative, but it's fun for us right. because <laughs> we're like, can I leave out the cilantro? I, I don't like the taste. Yes, absolutely. Just do that. Or how do I double this? I'm like, it's funny. Yeah. And I mean, obviously there are yes. some questions like, you know, would this work with like almond flour yeah. or yeah. whatever, but, but things like swapping out the nut or like leaving off the cilantro garnish, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because I have a rhubarb, um, clafuti recipe in the cookbook and I saw on Instagram that someone had made the clafuti in little, like the little ramekins, you know, like individual ones. Mm-hmm. So I took my basic recipe. I didn't have any rhubarb. I used blueberries and made it in the individuals and using that same, you know, basic Base. foundational recipe yeah. completely changed it. Yeah. And it came out great. So you're right. It's, you know, knowing the different like techniques or it just gives you like a jumping off point. Yeah. And, you know, in fairness to our readers, sometimes you are getting people who just have not reached that comfort level yet. And so in 10 years, they're going to know that. But right now they're like, I don't know, does this change the structure of the recipe? So it sometimes does take a little time and experimentation and trial and error to to be more comfortable. Yeah. And stuff is expensive. I mean, so you don't want to mess up a recipe, you know, 
especially baking, like cooking, you know, soup, you mess it up or whatever, or you could add things as you go along. But with baking, it's kind of like you have to do it and you put it in the oven and you just hope it came out. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I share sourdough on my blog. And so there's sourdough can be really tricky, especially when you're teaching other people because the hydration of your starter can be different. People have different humidity levels. It's different temperatures. And so I get a lot of comments and people are like, this didn't work. And I'm like, just try again. But I also tell people to definitely use it. I very, very rarely have to throw right. something out. I will usually find some way to repurpose it. One example of this, and I actually discovered this somewhat recently, but this was on the list to talk about was mayo. Have you ever had your mayo with the immersion blender not set before? Because I have a hack if you've ever had that happen. I did. And I think it was when I was making a video and I was like, are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> yeah. all you're like, this, this works every like, single time. Yeah. Yeah. Except this time. Except this time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've made mayo dozens of times. It always works. And I've had people on my comments say this did not work. It was soupy. And I'm like, well, I don't know what you did because it works. Right. Well, then it happened to me, of course. It did happen. And this actually happened twice since. And what I do is I take the oil that didn't set up. It's just basically like eggy oil. And I re-put the egg in another jar and then just use the eggy oil as the oil. And then it works the second time around. Like and so I've done this a couple of times and I'm like, that's good. Because I don't throw stuff out, especially a cup of oil. Yeah. You know, that's pricey. Exactly. Yeah. And most things you eat it and you go that probably could have come out better. Like when I was writing my cookbook, it made my husband crazy. Cause like, you know, he would eat something one time, two times, three times, like recipe testing, you know? And then I'd be like, but I really think it can be yeah. better. And he'd be like, can we move on to the next recipe? Cause we've already had this three times. And I'm like, no, we will keep eating it until it's perfect. You know? Nope. I'm in the zone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yep. It was a lot. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I, it, so, but I rarely, like rarely is something so bad that you can't even eat it. You just go, you know, that should have been like a little less chewy or it should have been a little more this or that or whatever. But yeah, you learn, you practice and you learn. Right. Yeah. And don't, don't be so quick to throw stuff mm -hmm. out. So in regards to the mayo, whenever I post about that, I usually get people who are very uncomfortable with the raw eggs. So what would you say to that? Okay. First of all, we have COVID and monkeypox flying around. Raw eggs are like so low on my scale of what I'm worried about. Um, and I think, you know, when you raise your own chickens and you know what they're eating and how they're raised, you know, the eggs are super fresh, you know, as an egg sits around, any bacteria in it is going to multiply, right? So the fresher the egg, the less chance that you're going to get sick. There is, you know, lemon juice, hopefully in your, um, or some kind of acid, you know, in your mayonnaise, which helps to kill any bacteria. It's funny because I tried TikTok, hate it, have decided it's not for me. But the one <laughs> video I did that went in, like viral, I got like over 2 million views. Oh my goodness. I made mayonnaise in my immersion blender. And then I stuck my spatula in and I licked the spatula and started eating the mayonnaise off the spatula. Oh, that's shocking. And the comments, Lisa. like, first of all, people... <laughs> They had no idea that there were raw eggs and mayonnaise, number one. Number uh -huh. two, people were like, who eats mayonnaise like that? Like, did she just eat that off the spatula? And I'm like, is that weird? Like, I, I never tried homemade. I eat mayonnaise <laughs> out of the jar sometimes. But like the comments, like people like hated it. They were just like appalled. You're going to get salmonella. This is so awful and whatever. And I was like, great. It went viral. Yay. You're like, that yay. was a month ago and I'm still alive. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, really? I mean, I make hollandaise sauce. I make Caesar salad dressing. I make tiramisu. All of these things have raw eggs in them. I don't, 
I don't worry about it. I mean, you know, if you're old or young or pregnant or sick or immune compromised, yeah, you probably should not eat a ton of raw eggs. But, you know, most of the recipes, though, they do have alcohol, like tiramisu has alcohol in it. Mayonnaise has the lemon juice in it. Like there is something to counteract that raw egg, you know, possible bacteria. Yeah. I mean, this would have not been controversial at all, like a hundred years ago. And and people always, when I say stuff like this, people are like, well, people died at 40. I'm like, I understand that, that, that we have modern invent like medicine and science that has helped us to live longer. I get that. But we also were more comfortable with some things that really are good things too. And to me, I mean, I know you said not if you're pregnant and, you know, obviously take your own doctor's advice, but like I load up on raw milk, raw eggs when I'm pregnant because of the protein that it provides. Obviously that's a whole different subject and people will have their (laughs) own thoughts, but I do that as, you know, something actually good. And so it, trusting the source is important. And then I also saw that you leave yours out overnight or is it something I saw on your, um, I think it was your YouTube, something for the bacteria maybe. Yeah. Because so the, the acid that you've got in the mayonnaise is going to work to counteract and kill the bacteria, but it's not going to happen if it's being chilled in the fridge. Like that's going to happen at room temperature. So oh. I mean, honestly, I make mayonnaise. I don't make it in super large batches. Usually I'm making it to use it right then. Right. So yep, I'll same. usually just make it and use it. You yeah. know, it doesn't really sit around for very long. Um, you know, I definitely wouldn't recommend like making it and letting it sit for as long as your, you know, commercial mayonnaise would right. be sitting around. So yeah. Going back to people and like how they used to eat. I think people back then also had a lot stronger immune systems because they were outside Mm -hmm. more, they were working in the dirt, they were working around animals, you know, they weren't being protected in like cubicles in offices in, you know, regurgitated air. So I think people's systems could handle more because they just had stronger immune systems. Yeah. I mean, that's true. I think I I don't have any like scientific study to back this up. So I could very well be wrong, but did people, were they as sick? They died earlier because of life-saving surgeries, antibiotics. I get that. And I'm so thankful for that. I've, sometimes I say this and people don't hear me. They think I'm saying like, ah, you know, like I've used those things for me and my own children and I'm glad they exist. Right. However, while they were alive for their short 40 years, <laughs> were they as sick as us? Were their bodies always, I don't know, like we're just, we're just, it seems that yeah, our systems aren't as robust. No, I'd say they were super healthy. And I don't think everybody died of disease either. I mean, I'm sure people did, but like there were also a lot of wars, you know, like, and if you got shot yeah, or even if probably if you got cut, like there was tetanus and there yeah, was, no antibiotics. I mean, you know, and a lot of people were working outside. I'm, I'm sure there were farm accidents and, you know, people were getting mauled by bears as they were building their log cabin. Like <laughs> women were dying in childbirth. Right, yeah. like, there were a lot of ways to die. Like they weren't dying from eating raw eggs. <laughs> I can guarantee you that. Yeah. I mean, I don't yeah, know, there's, but I would guess. Yeah. It's a, it's a tricky subject, but I've finally gotten to where I'm just like, yeah, I put the videos out on YouTube. I'm sure I get lots of comments. I also get comments whenever I make something and then I taste it for my family to see if I should add more salt. And the number of comments, I'm like, this is for my family. I am not worried about licking the spoon for my own family. I, I didn't say we were having guests over tonight. 
They're appalled. There are a lot of comments like that. I was just talking to someone else about this. Lots of comments on the cooking videos. You know, why don't you have your hair in a hairnet? Or why why isn't she wearing gloves? You know, like on, you know, Food Network or Food 52 or whatever. And I'm thinking, again, like she's not feeding people in a restaurant. She's making a video for Instagram. Right. You know, or she's <laughs> yeah. making something for her family. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't use a tasting spoon and like lick it and then put it in the sink. Are you kidding me? No, I'm like, I, I, I so can't be the only one. And there are certain tasks in your kitchen where the hands are the best, the best tool you have. And so, you know, that's something I don't shy away from. Taking a break to tell you about another sponsor that is Redmond Real Salt. In my kitchen, when I am cooking from scratch, everything from bone broth to vegetable ferments to sourdough bread, salt is something I use an awful lot of. Nothing that I cook for the most part comes pre-salted. And so in order to make you know a salsa from the garden or a pasta sauce, I need to rely on salt. I have these quality ingredients that I've either grown or I've sourced locally or from a trusted farmer. And I want to continue the quality, not just dump something, anything in with the salt. And that is why I love to use Redmond Real Salt. I even buy it in bulk. I get the large bucket of it. So that way I never run out. I have a stash of it. I refill my canister that sits by the stove. And I just love knowing that I'm not skimping on quality when it comes to something that we use so frequently. You can check out Redmond and their seasoning blends and their bulk salt over at bit.ly forward slash farmhouse Redmond. Make sure to use the code farmhouse. Again, that's bit.ly forward slash farmhouse Redmond. Use the code farmhouse. Now, when it comes to preserving eggs, is that something that you have gone into in depth in any way? Or what are some of your best and favorite methods for that? Sort of. I mean, I know that there are methods for super long-term storage and people ask me about that all the time. And honestly, I've never had the need for an egg to last two years. Yeah. You know, I don't water glass. I don't, you know, do any of that. The most really, and often we get, get chicks in the spring. So those chicks lay through their first winter, you know, so a lot of years we have chickens laying in the winter, even though we don't light our coop and I don't force them to lay. But even with an older flock, they usually lay through like September, October-ish, and then they're back to laying in February. So I'm really only trying to bridge that gap of a couple of months. And right. usually what I'll do is I'll just freeze some eggs, mostly for holiday baking, because that's the worst is like, you don't want to like be baking for Christmas and using store-bought eggs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this year we tried several things and we'll see, you know, how it all pans out, but we did the freeze dryer. So that's my newest thing. And I, I think I'm going to love that. Mm -hmm. And then we froze several, which that just seems super straightforward. Like, of course that's going to be fine. And then I did some water glassing as well. So I'm going to be talking more about that after it's been several months. It's a little bit like right now with me, it is more important because we, we have seven kids. So to get us even through those months means that I need to have an overabundance and then get them to last through those months. A lot of eggs. Yeah, that's a lot yeah. of eggs. Even for the kids who don't like eggs, we'll do things like crepes or puff pancakes or whatever, oven pancakes. And we just try to use a lot of eggs because they're a good, cheap source of protein. And so we're doing our best to do some preserving 
this time of year. It's not something I've done a lot of in the past, but you can, I mean, I, I do love, if you have the freezer space, I think freezing them, whether you, you know, I just like whisk them and freeze a bunch like that. Cause you can then defrost them, um, yeah. you know, and you scramble them or whatever, but also freezing like some whites or some yolks separately, you know, if you're going to make meringues or, you know, custard or something and you need them separated, but that's mostly for baking. Yeah. If you're just freezing eggs, so you have them for scrambled eggs or omelets or whatever, I think whisking them and just freezing them, even if you don't measure it out, but you just like freeze them in freezer bags or freezer containers. Cause at that point you're not really concerned necessarily how many eggs are in there. You just kind of know right. volume wise, how many yeah. you're going to need. Um, but you can also pickle eggs. You can't, I, and actually I saw this on YouTube. Someone, woman was like water bath canning eggs, which oh. eggs are not shelf stable. Like you can't do that, <laughs> but you can yeah, pickle them that. and then put them in the refrigerator. Um, like you yeah. would do like, you know, quick pickles or something like that. So if your kids like pickled eggs, that's one way to preserve them. And you can even just throw them. Like if you have an empty jar of pickle juice, just hard boil some eggs and throw them in that, stick them in the fridge quick pickled egg. Yeah. A friend of mine, she preserved a bunch of eggs this year. And this was actually a reel for her that went viral by making them into pasta. So that's, I, I'm not exactly sure. Like, I guess she just dries them out, but yeah, that's her way of having hmm. them throughout the winter. Interesting. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's also salt cured egg yolks, yeah. which I did put in my cookbook. I'm not a fan. They're super, super salty. And the whole thing is you basically just take the egg yolks and you put them in a bed of salt and sugar, let them dry out. And then you can grate them, you know, almost like Parmesan cheese on top of things. But my thing is like, just use cheese. Okay. Yeah. I've seen that. It, they're super salty. I, I was yeah, not a big fan my... of that. And it's, it's kind of a process. Yeah. I, well, I've seen that method and I thought about trying it, but I was a little concerned about one, what do you do with all the whites? And then two, that's a lot of salt. How do you like, do you reuse the salt in some way or is it just that you have to get rid of it or? Yeah, it's super wasteful. I, that also was kind of going viral on TikTok and I was like, you've got to be kidding me because it doesn't really make any sense. I mean, you can obviously freeze the whites for meringues or angel food cake or something like that, but it, it does seem super wasteful and not really practical because say you do a dozen yolks. I mean, how much cheese are you going to, or cheese, big cheese, are you going to grate all over everything? Yeah. You know, it's not like you'd sit around and just eat the well, yolk. Well, and it's hard whenever you're preserving something that you're kind of creating a new category for in your kitchen. So for example, I freeze dried a whole bunch of zucchini this year and I uh, shredded, but I'm not really used to using zucchini except for when it's in season, we, you know, make it into zucchini bread or we'll have like zucchini mac and cheese where we'll fry it in some butter and add some cheese. And I'm like, okay, well, we use this this winter because this isn't something I'm used to using. So that happens to me sometimes when I do something I'm not used to having, like having salted egg yolks or whatever, I'll have to remember to actually incorporate those into my meals because it's not something I'm, you know, it's like a whole new category. And right. sometimes and you have to come up with like new recipes. Yeah. I yeah. Know. Just feed the zucchini to the chicken. That would probably be the best use I of maybe should. zucchini. I have a whole bunch though. <laughs> <laughs> It's all right. We'll They'll see. Love it. We'll it's a see. Long, long winter. Yeah, maybe maybe a little green will get us get us through it all. I was thinking about when you're talking about the whites. One of the ways that we use up a lot of eggs in our house, at least right now, is we will separate them and then put the yolks in our ice cream, our homemade ice cream. It makes it so creamy, and then we'll use all the whites to do like a meringue on a chocolate pie, or sometimes mm -hmm. we'll make again back with the the raw 
eggs. We will whip it into like what you would use for a meringue until they have stiff peaks and then whip some cream and then fold it together with some honey and some like cocoa powder. It is like the best mousse ever. Oh, nice. Yeah. There's there. And again, with the raw egg. Yeah. Raw yeah. egg for everybody. <laughs> so I, I go on even better. We had, you know, a lot of happy hours, especially <laughs> during COVID. Um, but make whiskey sours and then, you know, shake some egg white in your shaker and use it, you know, to top your cocktails with. And it just gives it like, like a creamy texture kind oh. of thing. But again, you're drinking raw egg white, <laughs> but there's alcohol. So it kills the bacteria. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you're worried about it, but yeah, there's, there are so many unconventional ways that you can use the eggs. What about the egg shells? Mm-hmm. Are you composting them? Are you making something for your chickens. I know some people make like an egg shell tea for their gardens. I just, I mean, honestly, well, when I first started out, like I would rinse off the shells and I would air dry them. And then I would like put them in a bag and roll them with a rolling pin to get them, you know, crumbled. And then I had a little dispenser for my mm-hmm. chickens <laughs> for the extra calcium. Now I just throw the halves into the scraps with the rest of our you know, like dinner, like ends of vegetables and stuff. I just throw them to the chicken. Yeah. So they eat them for calcium. Yeah. And they do, they'll eat them. So yeah. And I notice whenever we start giving them all, they love them. Oh, they do. And it helps, it helps the, their eggshells to be stronger. I mean, that's at least that's what I, we notice with ours. It does. Yeah. Our ducks, especially, they eat them like potato chips. I mean, they just get so excited, but it's funny. Cause like, again, I'll see like on, you know, reels or TikTok and someone will be like, and you have to bake the shells and then you have to pulverize them. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I just crack it and throw it to the chicken. <laughs> Done. Yeah. I think like, those are the things that you first try when you first start homesteading, you're wanting to do everything right. And then you realize that you can get away with a lot of halfway things and they still work. I mean, there's nothing on that shell that the chicken has not come in contact with. So like, I would never use like someone else's eggshells or store-bought eggshells, but my own chicken's shells, there's nothing on that egg that you need to bake off. And I'm certainly not putting eggshells in the oven. Like, you know, if I crack an egg or break an egg by accident (laughs) in the coop, I just toss it right into the run and they eat the egg, they eat the shell. I mean, it's all good. And they they have never, ever eaten their own eggs, like unauthorized egg eating. I've never had a problem with that. <laughs> really? We've had very little problem with that. Maybe like a couple times, but mostly it's only if they, like once one gets broken and then it spills out onto the others and then they all taste good, that's when I've noticed it. Otherwise, it doesn't seem like they really do it. Yeah, they're like, oh, and well, again, like none of what we're talking about is scientific at all. That just disclaimer, we're just throwing out our opinions. But yeah, I think that by giving the chickens, like when we have so many eggs, sometimes I'll just crack. Like again, I, when I first started, I used to actually like scramble the eggs and cook them for the chickens um, <laughs> or put them in a casserole dish and bake them for the chickens. Now I just crack the eggs, give them like the egg, you know, they eat the egg raw. Um, sometimes I'll toss the shells like on the other side so they don't you know, go like, oh, shell egg, it tastes good, whatever. But my personal opinion is, is by giving them that, they're getting what they need. They're getting all the nutrients, all the calcium, everything they need, and they're not going to go looking for it. Yeah. You know, other than like if someone accidentally steps on an egg in the nest and it breaks and they're like, oh, that's right. These taste good. But I think (laughs) you're giving them what they need. So they're not going looking like, what else can I eat? You know, they're like, she's just going to give us more of those so we can just wait and they'll, you know, the next... I mean, I can't, I can't believe I used to actually cook eggs for my chickens. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think back to a lot of things I did as a young homesteader, young mom that I'm like, I cannot believe I did that. Yeah. It's yeah. all, it's all part of the process. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so what are some of the common egg cooking mistakes that people might be making? I saw you did a segment on one of the shows. Which show mm-hmm. was it where you talked about this? I did, and I don't remember which one. Um, yeah, I think the biggest <laughs> mistake people make is eggs cook really, really quickly, which is another reason why they're so great because, like, it doesn't take you – like, a roast takes you right. all day to cook, right? Mm-hmm. Um, people cook them too quickly on too high heat, and they don't take them off the heat soon enough. Like, if you're scrambling eggs – you really should take them off that heat just when they start to set up, when they're still wet looking, still glossy looking, because they cook in that minute or two, by the time you take it off the pan and put them on the plate, they're still cooking, yep. you know, so, yeah. so people wait until they look done in the pan. So people yep. overcook their eggs, cook them too fast. Also, um, I think the biggest mistake probably is not using room temperature ingredients. Like when you're baking, if it says room temperature butter, or room temperature eggs or room temperature milk, like it really means it. It doesn't just say that so you can go, oh, I need to start now and nothing is room temperature. Like you're talking really to me right it. now, Lisa, because <laughs> <laughs> that's something I I'm mean, like, why would that matter? So you need to explain yeah, to me why it matters. <laughs> so it matters. So so when these things are cold yeah. or when the eggs are cold, say you add them to your batter and the fats are going to seize up you know, so your butter or whatever fats you've got in there are going to seize up because of the cold milk, because of the cold eggs. So you really should have all your ingredients, room temperature, unless it says cold butter, because certain things like biscuits or certain pie crusts, you want the butter cold because you kind of want it to stay in like those little clumps because then it forms nice layers, you know, in your biscuits or, or whatever you're making. I mean, baking is really science. So temperatures definitely matter. And I think sometimes when people are like, well, that didn't yeah. work. Well, was your milk cold? Were your eggs room temperature? Did I mean, you? I'm, I'm guilty too. I, I leave butter out. Yeah. Like, so we always have butter at room temperature. Again, probably like a bad thing, whatever. Never died from bad butter. Um, and I always have eggs on the counter because I don't necessarily refrigerate all our eggs. <laughs> like I like to leave some on the counter. So I always have them room temperature to use. Um, I refrigerate what we're not going to use right away because they do last longer, but you don't have to refrigerate eggs. They'll last at least two or three weeks, you know, at room temperature. So it's really just the milk at that point that I need. Yeah. And you're just talking about unwashed, mm-hmm. right? Unwashed yeah. eggs. Fresh, not from your grocery store. Those have been washed because for some reason our country feels like you need to wash off the protective coating <laughs> that the egg is born with. Yeah. But yeah, unwashed fresh eggs. And if you're getting them from a farmer's market or a neighbor or whatever, ask if they've been washed and if they haven't been, you can leave them out on the counter. Yeah. They're so pretty too. They are part of my decor. I have this huge bowl with blue stripes on it. It's like a crock bowl. And we have all of these different breeds of chickens. And so we have dark brown and we have green, olive, blue, light blue. It's just, it's so pretty to me, especially in in my kitchen. I just Mm -hmm. love having those kind of things out. So that's the last question I'm going to ask you before I let you go. Uh, What breeds do you like to keep for for chicken keeping if somebody does want to have their own? Specifically, I get asked about having the colorful eggs. What you get for that? It's, it's funny because a lot of people, when they're just starting out, they ask me what breed of chicken they should get. And I say, well, if you can get five chickens, get five different breeds. Like, how boring is that to get, like, five Buffaloingtons? Like, you can't tell them apart. Right. You name them. You can't tell which is which, you know. So the more, the better. I mean, we we only have, like, 16 or 17 chickens now, but I've never had more than one 
or two of the same breed. Wow. You know, really? So I have Australorks, I have Lavender Orpingtons, I have Americanas for the blue eggs, I have Olive Eggers for the green eggs, we have some Morans for the dark chocolate eggs. Mm-hmm. You don't need a lot of chickens to get a really nice array of of colors, which, you know, I really like that. So I would definitely yeah. recommend, you know, just get one or two of each breed. For the most part, they're all going to get along. Some breeds are a little more aggressive, you know, and they can be mean, but yeah, for the most part, yeah. you're not going to have a problem. And the more breeds, the more color eggs, the easier to tell them apart. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that you probably just hatch them right on your own farm, but for people who are getting started, whenever I go to my local feed store, when I first started with chickens, they just had like brown and white egg layers. And I had to venture out and order from like cackle or something to get the variety that I have now. And I really wish I would have done it sooner because there is some something so joyful about opening an egg carton and just seeing all of these different colors. So where are you sourcing those? Yeah. So I, I actually don't hatch. I've never hatched. We have hatched ducks from our own eggs, mostly by accident because my husband was in charge and he didn't notice the ducks were sitting. And by the time I got home, we were like two weeks in and I was like, <laughs> I guess we're hatching ducks. Yeah. I've actually never hatched any of my own eggs because I'm sort of a, a breed snob, I guess you would say. Like I am a member of the Livestock Conservancy and I think it's really important to conserve these breeds you know, they have characteristics. And if everyone just started like breeding whatever rooster with whatever hen, pretty soon it would just be like all one big mess of a thing. So I, I I bought hatching eggs and I've also bought Dale chicks, but I do like to keep the breeds pure and we've never had the same rooster breed as hen. So I could, you know, like separate the rooster and his hen and, you know, hatch some of their eggs. So we would have just gotten like barnyard mixes, which I wasn't really interested in doing. Right. So yeah, so I kind of like you, like I wanted the blue eggs Uh, and I wanted different colors. And it took me a long time to come up with the breeds we have. I tried Wyandots. I thought they were the meanest chickens in the world. (laughs) I didn't like them at all. Okay. I've had black uh, copper morons, also very mean, but I've had the blue and the splash, which also lay the dark chocolate eggs and they're super sweet. So there is some trial and error. Like I found that I like the Orpington family. So I like the Australorps. Lavender Orpingtons, chocolate Orpingtons, good layers, friendly, good moms, hardy, you know, so it does take some trial and error and some reading of the either catalogs or hatchery websites for temperament, hardiness, egg color, that kind of thing. I have got from the feed store because like who can resist, you know, you go in for feed and you come out with Um, (laughs) But I try not to because... A lot of times you'll end up with roosters when they say they're hens or even the wrong breed altogether mm. because they're just in the wrong bin. You know, I feel like ordering yeah, straight from the hatchery, the yeah, you're getting what you're ordering. And I mean, I use Meyer Hatchery in Ohio, little plug for them. Um, okay. In all these years, I think I've only gotten like two roosters. Wow. You know, when I've ordered hens, I've gotten two roosters. So they are pretty accurate. So you said Meyer Hatchery? Meyer. Yeah. M-E-Y-E-R. Okay. Out of Ohio. All right. Um, yeah. And they, they've been great. You know, they, uh, we do have a little Bantam Cochin. It tends to be the fancy breed that, that hatcheries have trouble sexing. So if you order like, like Polish or Sultan or Cochins or like the Bantams, you might end up with a rooster instead of hens when you order. So Sherman was supposed to be a Cochin uh, hen and he ended up being a rooster. Okay. But he's fine. I mean, he's small because he's a bantam. Right, yeah. So he's fine. Yeah, we've had to get rid of a few roosters. He doesn't try to kill us. 
Like, oh gosh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Are... We've, we've had some bad rooster experience. Yeah. But like when, when your pets try to kill you, yeah. it's like time to get a new pet. Yeah. Yeah. Roosters can be vicious. They really can. We actually don't keep roosters. And if you have kids. Yeah. 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 With, with kids, especially like if I had small children, there is no way that I would have a rooster because they will come at you with like talons, you know, out. <laughs> yeah. um, and if you're a, you know, two foot tall kid, that could be, I mean, I've had roosters go right through my jeans, slash into my legs. Right. Um, they can be really mean. And you don't need them. If you're just getting eggs, just get you that. Nothing. Yeah. I never yeah. do straight run. I always do pullets. It's just, I prefer to not deal with it. Now, of course you get a couple and you just give them to a farm if you don't want to keep them or whatever. Yeah. It's hard to get rid of them though. Um, I love hatching. And for, for a couple of years, I hatched every spring, a couple batches, but when you hatch eggs, you're going to end up probably with half rooster. Yeah. And I ran out of like friends and family yeah. and neighbors and farms to give them to. So I had to stop hatching, which is really sad, but they're just, they're too hard to get well, rid of. And people always say, just butcher them and you can, you can butcher them. But the thing is, is there's better breeds suit more suitable for that. And so you're not going to get the amount of meat that you would if you just go get a chicken from the store. And so it's, it's a lot of work for a breed that isn't suited. Definitely can for sure. It's better than wasting it, right. but yeah, there's, they're really not bred for that. Exactly. Unless it's like one of the dual purpose or it is like a heavier, you know, type rooster and, and everyone's not like, I don't even really eat chicken anymore. Like everyone is not ready to start butchering chickens in their backyard. You know, <laughs> I mean, a lot of people raise chickens, but just for the eggs and they're not really interested in the whole butchering thing. Yeah. Yeah. Perfectly fine. Well, thank you so much. Tell us again about your book and where to find it and where to find you and yeah, we're best to follow along. Yeah, this has been really fun. So the Fresh Eggs Daily Cookbook, I included over a hundred of my favorite recipes, sweet, savory, you know, desserts, breakfast, lunch, dinner, drinks, uh, available anywhere books are sold, you know, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, check your library, local bookstore. And then on social, Fresh Eggs Daily, um, or my blog is fresheggsdaily.com. And, you know, honestly, chicken, ducks, geese, a garden a little, and some recipes. Perfect. Sounds right up most of our alleys. Trust me, this is something that my listeners love to dive deeper into. So thanks so. again for sharing all of your wisdom and knowledge. And we really appreciate you coming on. And if anyone has a problem with raw eggs, um, contact Lisa Bass, not me. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, I hope you enjoyed that episode with Lisa Steele from Fresh Eggs Daily. As always, thank you so much for listening. And I will see you in the next episode of the Simple Farmhouse Life podcast.